Here are the highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. Visit freetalklive.com for the full episode. In the studio with you tonight, it's me, Bonnie. Riley. And Nikki. This Monday, we had a terrible day. Um, The people on this show did. It was Um, a rough day for a lot of us. My husband and the, um, basically, father of this show, um, he created this show as his brainchild, and he is the most common first chair host. Ian Freeman, he got sentenced to eight years in prison for selling cryptocurrency to willing customers. Or at least people who vehemently portrayed themselves as willing customers to him. Oh, yeah. They portrayed themselves as willing customers who wanted Bitcoin. They said, no, I'm, I'm not op- operating under duress. Yep. No, I really am not being scammed. This is for my husband. Or this is for investments. But no, they lied to Ian so they could get Bitcoin. So they made him do something he didn't want to do. And because of that, they are now being called his victims. In fact, the judge has decided that at least one of them is a exceptionally vulnerable victim. So, And so I thought during the trial... That it was established that there were no victims. I was under the impression that technically there were no victims. Yep. And then all of a sudden at the sentencing, we're talking about victims and we're having these ladies come back again to read their, you know, testimony or whatever, read these, you know, sob stories to the court. Even when Arya got sentenced, um, she had the charge of money transmitting illegal or unlicensed money transmitting. Yeah. Um, maybe not the conspiracy to commit wire uh, um sorry to commit money laundering so maybe it's all resting on that to, um for the question of whether or not there was victims but when aria got sentenced there it was said there are no victims so there's no victims of the unlicensed money transmitting business but somehow there's victims when it with when it comes to this other charge and and nikki's right during the entire trial i have never i never heard them say that these people were ian's victims they would point out that he was doing something that was not illegal to do, except that it was unlicensed. And then on top of that, he was, um, con- you know, they were saying that he was conspiring without saying so. So it's a thought crime. Um, he was conspiring without saying so to take the proceeds of somebody that he should have known didn't really want to buy Bitcoin. He tried his due diligence to make sure that these people were not being scammed. How? What else is he supposed to do? Yeah, but- I mean, let's be real here. Ian was doing more than any bank would, yep. than anyone else would. And this is according to people who've sat next to him and have worked with him time and time again, hearing him talk to people about Bitcoin. Take phone calls, yep. Um, take phone calls from people that ended up coming into the trial saying, Ian Freeman has no soul. I need him to be punished. I need him to suffer for what he has done. And um, I was so badly hurt by him because he didn't do things correctly after, you know, sometimes like sounding like they're fighting with him on the phone. Like, yes, I know my husband. Why would you ask that? Like, I'm offended. AI now to the audacity to like come testify against him in court. It's ridiculous. Just because the government, the FBI, the prosecution has promised them um, you might be able to get a little bit of money back. The money that was supposed to go to your uh, children and grandchildren 
uh, or the money that your mother gave you when she died or the, the money that your uh, husband gave you when he died, well, you might get a little bit of that money you sent away because you thought you fell in love with someone online and then you wouldn't listen to Ian, the voice of reason about it, and you tricked him. So because of that, now um, you might get some of that money back. So why don't you just go up there and say Ian has no soul and he's the worst type of person. This is the worst type of crime. They probably won't get any money back either, honestly. Right. I, I, I really don't think they will. And I think that's a, no, a really sad part of it. And Ian even said when he was making his you know, closing statements, you know, if I would rather this go to like actual restitution instead of paying a fine to the government. Yep. And um, we know that the the judge already ruled that the... Fine. There's three separate money grabs here. One of them is a fine. $40,000. $40,000 is what that got. Is that um, the fine? I th- thought yes. that was... That's the fine, which is going to be the smallest number. So the fine was $40,000. Um, plus $700, somebody had said. I, I, I thought the didn't $700 was the fine, and then the 40000 was going towards... I don't understand what the 700 was. Victims. But the, I, that's no, no, probably no. like, oh, this is your processing fee yeah, or whatever. It's something stupid like that, but the restitution hasn't been decided yet. There's going to be another date in court, and um, I asked his lawyer today, or at least his lawyer's um, secretary today, if there was a date for that yet, but there isn't a date for that yet. I'm just going to start from the actual statement. It says, I appreciate the opportunity to speak here today. I hope you can appreciate that I'm a bit in a bit of an awkward position. Normally, apologies and acceptance of responsibility are expected from a defendant at a sentencing hearing. I have been convicted on all eight counts I faced in trial by a jury of 12 other human beings. Since that time, the court has thankfully overturned my wrongful conviction on the money laundering count. We are going to be appealing the remaining seven convictions on the basis that the prosecution never proved a single one of them. So, I can't apologize for those things, as I do not believe I broke the law. Regardless, the jury found me guilty despite the defects in the prosecutor's case, so there is something in their opinion to be acknowledged. I don't know if they didn't like me or if they didn't believe me, but they thought I deserved to be found guilty, and I have to accept that there was some reason they did that, whether I like it or not. There is something I do want to apologize for, however, and that is that I failed to detect and prevent 100% of scam victims from using my services. For that, I am sorry. To the extent that my screening and know-your-customer procedures failed to alert me and the victims to what was happening to them, I take full responsibility for my failure and would like to request the court direct any fine toward the scammer's victims instead of the government. In their recent sentencing memorandum, the prosecution accused me of never having a real job. The truth is, I've worked several years at Kmart and several years at multiple radio stations, including several working for Clear Channel Communications, now known as iHeartRadio. That is where I began my now nationally syndicated talk radio program in 2002 that they insultingly call a hobby, simply because its revenue is down from its previous heights. They act as though I could be heard on over 170 radio stations nationwide without any history in the industry or having ever lifted a finger. Well, they obviously don't know that Ian has a lot of technical skills with radio. I mean, he's put the show together and it's hard to keep the show going without him because we don't have all the technical skills he has. Not just that, but just the everything he does every single day. I am now taking care of all of that. 
And I don't even know how he did all these things every day. Like, I haven't even really started yet. I've just started, like, taking care of easy things, giving myself a break for being, like, you know, still in shock that my husband could be gone for eight years. Probably won't be all eight, but um, I don't even know how it's possible. Like, Ian, I read this in um, Peace... Um, what is it called? I can't remember her name right now. This woman who walked across um, the United States in, I think, the 70s or 80s. And she, oh, Peace Pilgrim. Uh, She wrote a book and talked about why she walked across the United States spreading peace. And she said, whenever you invite peace into your mind and you truly are getting peace from, like, the divine source, you have this never-ending energy. and." You get things done that people just can't even understand how you get everything done because it's just a passion and you, you know, have this sense of peace about you. I don't know how else to explain it, but that's Ian. That describes Ian so much to me. Like, I don't know where he has these fountains of energy. And it's not just because he's a man. Like, I feel like, you know, maybe men have more energy than women. I don't know if that's uh, true, but it seems like that a lot of the times. I don't know. Nowadays, you might be called sexist for saying that. <laughs> yeah, probably. Whatever. <laughs> But it's he is gets more things done than anyone else I know. And um, just because it's stuff that the government doesn't want getting done, like activism, uh, doesn't mean that he's not extremely productive every single day. I think a lot of that is due to clarity of mind. Hmm. I'm sure a lot of people have a lot of like garbage clouding their mind. And it seems like Ian is a person that has a lot of clarity. Like he does have a lot of like just like inner peace and like calmness within him. That is such a good way to put it, and I totally agree about that with Ian. I think when somebody is um, unified in their consciousness, like what they think and what they feel is the way they act, and they won't change that for anyone, um, it definitely... um, Sorry, I was getting a phone call. I haven't had my phone on silent because Ian could call me at any moment. Um, But anyways... Yeah, so Ian has a lot of energy and he does a lot of stuff and the government insultingly called the uh, the radio show that we're doing tonight a hobby and acted like he doesn't work. And it's really stupid. Um, they just say whatever they can to make people look bad when they're prosecuting them. Yeah, they probably know it's all lies too. Like yeah. they, they know how much it takes to, you know, like do this show and they know it's more than a hobby, but they will spread whatever lies they have to, to, you know, to win. Gigi in South Carolina, you're on Free Talk Live. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for taking my call tonight. I am so appreciative that you just made mention of the phrase freedom of speech. Hmm. We pride ourselves on being a republic, a so-called democracy. And when I think about what I learned as a child in social studies and then in civics in high school, that Benjamin Franklin, one of our founders, established the first public open library in Philadelphia in the 18th century. No book banning. And look what's happening in my home state of Florida Books being banned. And Mm. here in Charleston, South Carolina, where I currently reside, various public libraries are having the same policies. I was under the impression that freedom of speech and freedom of the press are guaranteed 
to a certain extent in our civil liberties. I, so I thought why so too. are books being banned? It's very frightening. Everybody who's listening to this wonderful program, however infrequently you listen, please be aware more and more of your civil liberties are being infringed upon. It is frightful. Yes, it's really annoying that when something is called public, normally you would think that that means everybody owns it. Anybody who writes a book should be able to have their book in a public library. It's, it belongs point, to all of us. Good point, my dear. Good point. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. You are so on target. But it usually means the opposite. Public just means belongs to the government, and they'll do whatever they want with it. And it's very frightening, is it not? It is. It's bad. It's not how things yes, are supposed ma'am. to be. <laughs> Well, that was my contribution for this evening. I love this program. Going on, he says, It's worth pointing out that my procedure was more in-depth than any of the banks who also sent away the scam victims' life savings, yet the bank tellers and managers were not arrested. Unfortunately, it took me some time to develop these procedures as I learned slowly of the different types of scams. There was no manual how-to... There was no how-to manual to read when I started this, and initially I was the direct target of the scammers who used my bank info to pay credit card bills or car payments. Since the banks never told me why they were closing my accounts, it kept me in the dark much longer about what was happening to a small percentage of my buyers. The prosecution suggested during trial that the only reason I had identification procedures in place was to protect my bank accounts. While that is one reason, it's not the only reason. The other reason is that because I don't want or is because I don't want people to be taken advantage of. As a libertarian voluntarist, I am firmly against fraud and never want to be a part of it. Indeed, my perfect seller ratings on localbitcoins.com were proof of my reputation for honesty. Eventually, my mission expanded beyond spreading Bitcoin to include to never let a scammer get through my screening. Sadly, no matter how strict I became or how many hoops I put in place for buyers to jump, I could not catch them all, as I learned with the case of Patrick Brown, who testified at the trial. Mr. Brown said under oath that I only asked him one question when we talked on the phone prior to selling him Bitcoin. However, by that time, I had developed the series of questions I mentioned earlier, which included asking him if there were, was a third party putting up, him up to this and if he was under duress. He assured me he was buying the Bitcoins for investment purposes on his own volition. So I sold it to him, and then he came back for a few more buys. I thought he was a satisfied repeat customer until his bank tried to pull one of his wires from my account. I reached out to Patrick, whose number I still have on my phone, to try to find out what happened and eventually heard from Detective Alan Snotty from Travis County Sheriff's. I spent a half hour on the phone with Detective Snotty and provided any information I could to help him with his investigation. And Detective Snotty explained to me what had happened to Mr. Brown. That's when I learned that he was under duress as the scammers were threatening him and pretending to be federal government agents. It was in my conversation with Detective Snotty that I learned Patrick Brown lied to me to get me to sell him Bitcoin. And I just want to pause for a second from reading this and explain he was under duress 
uh, um, in Ian's opinion, because he believed that he had to do what the FBI was telling, or not the FBI, sorry, the IRS was telling him to do over an email. He wasn't under duress as in there was somebody holding a gun to his head. And I just, I used to talk to Ian about this and say like, Ian, they weren't under duress. Like, I don't think that that word applies here. And he would say, yes, they were the scariest government agency. I mean, the, the scariest government in the world threatening to harm you and they will do it. They'll harm people. They do it every day and they don't care about you. So in Ian's opinion, these people were under duress. It doesn't matter that there wasn't somebody in the room with them holding a knife to their throat. Um, and I kind of agree with, you know, Ian's version of that word or like his definition of that word in this case, because yeah, yeah, it it doesn't even have to be like as serious as like someone legit has a gun to your head. You can still be underdressed for any number of reasons. Sure. And it it can be kind of scary to have an institution that, you know, has the ability to lock you in a cage if you don't pay your taxes. It can feel scary to be emailing back and forth with that with what you believe is that organization because your life could change overnight. I just wanted to point that out because I wanted to explain the the charity Ian gives to these people. Like he isn't just mad at them. He is he can see things through other people's perspective. He he doesn't just hate these people for getting him into this situation, even though they kind of did, in my opinion. So going on. The other witnesses in the case, I had no idea were victims of scams, and I didn't find out they had been victimized until I saw their names and stories in the discovery for this case. Carla Sino had purchased many times from me over longer than a year. She represented herself to me as a successful real estate agent who is buying for herself and eventually selling to others. I didn't know until the trial that she'd been working with a scammer for half a decade and was herself acting as a money transmitter for the scammer. She kept those details from me. The same was true about Nancy Tristram. She revealed at trial she was actually working with her scammer and moved money at his behest while keeping me in the dark. Daniela Varel was a sophisticated financial advisor by trade, but even she was fooled by a scammer. We have Matthew. Matthew, you're on Free Talk Live. Hi, I just wanted to um, say a few comments about uh, Ian's sentencing. Uh, sentencing. Um, the basis that he was operating some type of criminal enterprise has no merit. I think it's very obvious to everyone except the jury, sadly, that, that that's the case. If Ian's the services that Ian and the rest of the people in the Crypto 6 operated were, uh, you know, maybe 10 out of the thousands of people that uh, use the service um, were getting scammed or falling victim to fraud. You know what would make the you know what that would make the largest criminal enterprise on earth, the Federal Reserve and the U.S. government. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so, that's already definitely the case. Yeah. So <laughs> the 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 narrative that they try to spun here is that um, safety. It's always about safety. That's how they take away your freedom. That's how they, they did it with the Patriot Act back in after nine eleven. They did it with uh, during COVID, during the lockdowns, and they did it with uh, KYC, Know Your Customer, um, when cryptocurrency started emerging and coming uh, and sort of uh, gained its uh, mass adoption. There's, if, if scammers wanted to find a way to scam someone, they could find a different way that didn't involve cryptocurrency and 
they could have used a thousand other Bitcoin services. Or gift cards or things like that. Cash. Yeah. Thank you so much um, for bringing all that up. Um, I I know you have another thing to say, but I just wanted to say the law, the main one that is um, targeting Ian in this about the money transmission, uh, unlicensed money transmitting, that is a Patriot Act law. And um, it's all about the Patriot Act was all about taking away your freedoms and privacy. Um, All in the name of stopping quote unquote terrorists. All in the name of, yes, stopping terrorists and safety. You should be safe all the time. And no one else should no one should have personal responsibility for keeping their own money in their bank accounts and not sending it away to um, somebody they fall in love with on the Internet. Nope. it's it's the government needs to keep us all safe. And um, and privacy is basically illegal now if if you um the the this trial seriously made privacy possibly illegal like they can use this as a um like vpns could be in trouble now because if you're advertising oh use our service if you want privacy we don't ask questions they said that that means that you're advertising to scammers and the jury decided that that is the case so that's really really bad yeah Anything else, Matthew? Yeah. Um, no, I, I just, I just want to call in to comment on that. But something regarding that, uh, you know, banning, I think you said VPNs. Um, they've been trying to put this legislation through uh, the House called the Earn It Act, um, which I'm sure you might be familiar with. Mm-mm, but no. uh, oh, So the Earn It Act is um, um, it's basically just a... Uh, backdoor legislation to outlaw uh, end-to-end um, encryption. Um, so all platform, uh, it's a lot similar to what was just passed in the UK. Um, I can't remember what that bill was called. But it's children's safety. Something. Right. So one of the implications of the Earn It Act um, would be uh, essentially all platforms that use end-to-end encryption would have to put a backdoor uh, that could be accessed by the government um, all in the name of safety. So that's always what they, that's always the narrative they use. It's safety. And they'll come up with, and they, they seem to, and with this court case, the prosecutors did a, must have done a good job of, you know, uh, painting a picture of Ian as this, you know, cri- criminal genius, right? Like, Sophisticated uh, cyber criminals, what they said. Yeah. Right, right. So, so that's all, that's always what they use. And people have to, it's insane that people are so uh, conditioned just to kind of accept that. Whatever the government says. Right. Well, um, thank you so much for explaining that. The uh, The thing about it is, why do they need to pass something called the Earn It Act if they can just legislate, if the judges can now just legislate from the bench? Oh, Bitcoin is money. Bitcoin was transmitted. All of these laws apply to this, blah, blah, blah. And I would say they want to do it to make it look good for the public. Ian continues saying, I want to be clear. I don't think Karen Miller was knowingly part of this scam. I mean, he doesn't know, but he doesn't think it either. So I'm just pointing that out. However, she was under this man's spell and was willing to lie to help him. She lied to Pam Campbell to get her to send Karen money. And she lied to me to get me to accept it. However, she never told me she was using other people's money. This is yet another example of how I was tricked by the scam victims. Now, these poor people think their scammer has been caught and is facing punishment when in reality, whoever Jerry Harmon is, is still out there. 
probably still running the same scam and using one of the thousands of other Bitcoin sellers on the peer-to-peer sites. Jerry Car- Harmon is the probably pseudonymous, uh, pseudonymous name uh, that all of the, not all of them, but like three different scam victims were in love with and were selling, sending their money to online. He continues, I am sorry those people were taken advantage of and that I couldn't stop them all. I did stop plenty of them, however. While the prosecutors focused on a few dozen scam victims who bought Bitcoin through me, they objected to me showing my user feedback on local Bitcoins. This is because the only negative feedback I had was from likely scammers who were mad that my requirements were too onerous. Between my account, Renee's, and nobody's accounts, we had thousands of buyers and 100% positive feedback. And if that's confusing, it's because he had so much positive feedback that the um, complainers, there was like, I don't know, I'm going to say like three of them or something. It wasn't enough to ch- take it from, like, it's just how... Um, yeah, it was so little of amount that it was less than 1%. Less than 1%. <laughs> so, like, that's the way local Bitcoins had their thing set up. Yeah. Um, it so instead of being, like, 99 point whatever, it was yeah. still 100, yeah. Exactly. Um, so I just wanted to point that out. He continues, he says... In addition to stopping scam victims from buying from me in the first place, my procedures were able to stop multiple scams in process, including an elderly doctor from Alabama who we worked with the police to get his $4,000 back to him, a young stockbroker from New York City who nearly lost $5,000, and Paul Niwa's elderly mother, Yoshina, who I saved from losing $11,000 and went through many hoops to get her the money back after the bank closed our account. The idea that I was somehow in support of scammers or tolerant of them is negated by the fact that I worked to get people their money back and worked with law enforcement on multiple occasions. Where I, I, just, I just want to say that it's interesting that Ian worked with law enforcement. I've heard him talk right. time and time again on the show saying, don't talk to the police, and yet here he is, I mean, working it- with the police to stop scammers. Now, I'm not saying Ian's contradicting himself. I'm just suggesting that, you know, it's interesting to me that he's willing, even though he has positioned himself in such a way to not really like the government or its officials, he's still willing to work with them to help people get money back. Exactly. Um, His position on that is just that if they were actually, if cops were actually out there just doing things like this, like stopping women from getting scammed and you know, stopping murders, then he would have no problem with them. Right, because it's a victim. It's a crime with a victim. Right, so that's why he helped um, Agent Snotty and other cops um, to stop people from getting scammed when he figured them out. He says, Were I a part of the scam, there would be no reason to return Mrs. Niwa's money as it was already in our bank account. Further, the church is... The church already had plenty of Bitcoins years prior to selling them, so the idea that this was all about making money from scammers is absurd. This was all about getting people to adopt Bitcoin, which is why, despite the prosecution's claims of high rates, our vending machines were priced lower than any other in the region. The prosecution would have you believe that charging 10% on local Bitcoins is outrageous, um, compared to the below 1% rate that exchanges would charge, and therefore only scammers would apply. They say this while ignoring the testimony of their own witness, Chris Reitman, who said that my prices were in line with the markets and were in, uh, we were in, and while ignoring the thousands of satisfied customers 
we had on that site over the years. Even prosecution's own numbers admit only a small portion of our buyers were victims of scams. Clearly, there is a demand for the personal service we provided. Further, the centralized exchanges can't stop the scammers either. Their onboarding procedure is completely automated. There is no personal phone interview and involves the customer handing over their social security number and their ID. Scammers can easily have their victims, who we know are willing to lie to buy Bitcoin, jump through the exchange hoops. However, the exchanges have their government paperwork, so they are not facing criminal charges, just like the banks aren't facing charges for wiring away the victim's life savings. Despite the prosecution's assertions, simply advertising that one respects privacy is not an invitation to scammers, especially when paired with the IDs and security requirements I had. Privacy is a right enshrined in the New Hampshire Constitution's Bill of Rights and was placed there by a supermajority of the voters in 2018, so clearly privacy is popular and not a criminal act or an unspoken conspiracy. Their case for conspiracy to money launder was innuendo, suggesting I should have known scams were happening simply because a portion of my buyers were of retirement age. Assisting scams would have meant major frustration for me as unhappy buyers always led to a bank account being closed. A customer pulling back a wire also meant I would become the scammer's victim as I would have already sent the Bitcoin and there's no way to reverse a Bitcoin transaction like one can a bank transfer. Did you have your hand up, Riley? Sorry. No. Okay. Um, There is simply no reason I would have wanted these difficulties to happen more often and working with scammers or trying to attract them would have ensured it happened more often than it did. In order to prove the count of money laundering conspiracy with the scammers, they would have to prove willful blindness as no other evidence was presented. To prove willful blindness, they had to prove I consciously and deliberately avoided learning facts in question. Given I had a rigorous set of know-your-customer requirements in place, it was clear I was trying to catch and prevent scammers. Further, I had assisted law enforcement in their investigations of those scammers. Additionally, when I was able to detect a scam in progress, I was able to stop the transaction and worked to get the funds back to the scam victim. As was testified to by Paul Niwa, I was able to interdict multiple scams and make the victims whole. This is the opposite of willful blindness. This is willfully trying to stop scammers and protect my buyers. As a longtime advocate for jury nullification, I'm well aware that juries also have the power to do what would be called reverse jury nullification and convict someone who wasn't proven guilty by the evidence. Perhaps that is what happened in this case. However, before you render your sentence, there are some important factors to consider. The real shocking revelation from the testimony in this case was the complete lack of interest on the part of the FBI in catching or even investigating the actual scammers. On cross, cross-examination, Patrick Brown admitted the FBI never asked a single question about what happened to the roughly $900,000 he sent to other people or places at the behest of the scammer. $900,000 that did not go into any of my accounts. Mr. Brown stated that they never inquired about the scammer at all and had no interest in what happened to the bulk of his life savings. Carla Sino, similarly, said she'd be happy to talk to the FBI about her scammer who she admitted she was still in touch with as of the week before appearing at trial. She also said the FBI had never asked her to help provide any information about him or put him in touch with them. 
and I'm going to go even further. She said in trial that she had told them, like, whenever you're ready, I, I'm ready to give you information about them. And they had no interest in it at all. At all. Hmm. Because it isn't relevant to to their case, essentially. Yep, so they don't care. And they're not, I mean, in like a good person. Like, oh, so if these, you know, if the prosecution was really like, doing this at the benefit of the people and were, you know, trying to help people, they would be like, even if it was out of their realm of what they can do in this case, they'd be like, great, we will set this up so we can, you know, whoever else is going to deal with whoever Jerry Harmon is. A new case, something. Which, uh, yeah, a new case. It's like, why we have an actual scammer out on the loose and they're just like, he was using a VPN. I'm yeah. sorry, a lot of people use VPNs and it's not impossible to to figure out like who's on the other end of a VPN. Like but, hackers do that stuff all the time. So it's like you guys don't have somebody on your team that can figure out who this guy is? Yep. Or are you even trying to set up a separate case and investigate who the actual scammer is? Like we have a woman who is willing to yep. give information that is probably very, very helpful in actually catching this guy. And is actually in touch with him. Yeah, literally in touch with him. Like it would be As so of a week easy. before the trial. It would be so easy to catch this guy at this point. But then, you know, Miss Prosecution Lady has the audacity to say he was using a Bitcoin in a fake email address. Yeah. A lot of people. I mean, not Bitcoin. Um, a VPN. VPN. Yeah. A lot of people use a VPN in a fake email address. Like, are you kidding? Hey, Daily Digestion listeners. This is Riley Blake. I enjoy Free Talk Live and I know you do too, but finding time to listen to an entire episode isn't always easy. So, I produce the Daily Digest. I appreciate those of you who have supported me on Patreon and sent Bitcoin to me to thank me for producing these digests. For those who wish to support me on Patreon, visit patreon.com slash crblake86. If you wish to send Bitcoin, visit patreon.com slash crblake86. 86 for those details. That's patreon.com slash crblake86. Thank you. It's Tom. I'm on a different phone. How's oh. the sound quality on this phone? It sounds a lot better. I'm not hearing my voice in the background, so thank you. Yeah, there's all those background noise in my house. Uh, oh. I'm on my cell phone. But anyway, uh, what they need to do is, uh, first of all, a local here in New Hampshire and then the other for everybody, uh, and that is... Uh, get in touch with the Shire Free Church and the Free State Project and even the New Hampshire Libertarian Party, uh, Liberty Movement people, and try to get people to show up at the presidential town hall uh, things where the presidential candidates meet and greet New Hampshire voters and ask them if they will uh, pardon uh, Ian and Aria for the, the heinous crime of selling Bitcoin without a license when there isn't even a law that says that you have to have a license to sell Bitcoin. It was a law that says you have to have a license uh, to transmit funds. Yep. Uh, and they, they, they retroactively said, oh, well, uh, we decided that th- that's uh, funds, and so we're going to throw you in prison uh, for that. And then uh, also the fact that they didn't even go after the victims who squandered all their money. They're going after somebody who innocently sold them Bitcoin and um, they make it sound like Ian was the criminal. You take a look at the uh, uh, state, the, the U.S. attorney's website, the, uh, the press release. It, they try to make it look like Ian was part- was laundering money. Uh, but for the uh, you get 
uh, somebody, let, let's say Bonnie goes in there and talks to, I don't know what, uh, DeSantis and asks that what you're doing, you're not, not going to get a pardon. What you're doing is you're educating 200 people yeah. in the room about what's going on here. And these are people who are uh, politically active and they think the government is benevolent. And some of them will wake up when they find out what happened, especially if Ian's wife is right there griping uh, about it to a presidential candidate. And at the national level, uh, people can get a petition going because you want a petition to have Joe Biden pardon Ian Freeman and Aria DiMezzo, but it's not going to work. But yeah. people will spread the petition and other people will read you know the rest of the story what the press release from the u.s attorney's office doesn't tell you is that these idiot ladies kept sending money and they lied to ian to get him to sell them the bitcoin that they said they know exactly who they're sending this money to and all of that which is another thing i've been thinking of how to write the warning, you know, you try to help these people by posting signs in the Western Union office when they go in there to send money. And you've, we've all seen those signs that warn people about it. Yeah. But uh, it says, listen, Cinderella, if Prince Charming told you to lie to us when we're trying to help you, uh, help protect you from getting scammed, you know you're being scammed. It's time to grow up wake up, wake up out of this fairy tale land and face the fact that he is a fake prince. But that's the thing. A lot of these women, unfortunately, they are so lonely. And these guys, I mean, and then obviously they're, you know, like copy pasting, saying the same thing to every single woman that they're talking to. But they, you know, they're, they're saying the right things. They are very manipulative. Yeah, they're saying the right things. They're, they're saying... They're they're using emotion to control yeah. their victims. Absolutely, and what, a lot what, of these what? women, they're so lonely, um, and they've fa- like genuinely fallen in love with this guy, or they think they have so much that it's like it doesn't matter what you say to them, they will fall for it. Because you even like in the instances where you know Ian has been contacting these women, like, do you know your husband? Like, is this real? And they're like, yeah, I can't even believe you'd say that. They're, yeah. They have that emotional response and that angry response yeah. because they are so convinced that this guy is real and that somebody loves them. And they feel like this guy makes them feel so good that if they were to even question his legitimacy, it would like ruin their lives. Right. Cognitive but then, dissonance. Exactly. But then like, you know, years later, finally, it's like they can't ignore it anymore. Yep. And they've sent this guy hundreds of thousands of dollars. And all of a sudden it's Ian's fault. Yep. That, that's a, yeah, that, honestly, Tom, can I say something? Um, This is probably the best call you've ever had. I want to say that it's great that you're also bringing up Aria. Like you're also um, asking people to help out Arya when she's not really your favorite person in the world. So, uh, thanks for that. You said he. No, I didn't. Alu Axelman, you're on with us. What's on your mind, Alu? Hi, guys. It's great to hear you. Bonnie, you're doing a wonderful job as the host. And someone called in, I think, two or three days ago and, and said they're conservative or somewhat libertarian or becoming libertarian, and they wanted to know why so many libertarians and voluntarists condemn the U.S. Constitution. And I wanted to tell him that I wrote a book about that. It's a short book, super-duper easy read. 
even someone like Joe Biden could read it, probably. <laughs> and it's called How Amazing is the U.S. Constitution? It's super short, cheap on Amazon as a paperback and ebook, and it explains the, the major reasons why, if you support liberty, you should absolutely condemn the U.S. Constitution. And um, it'll teach a lot of people, even voluntarists, will teach them some new stuff. And I'm thinking about trying to do the audiobook myself, possibly, because it's short. Um, so it's, it's up on Amazon, and, and I hope this person finds it and reads it. That's awesome. I know. I wish I remembered who the caller was. It was David it was... from New Mexico, I think. If, no, if, uh, we're it wasn't David from New Mexico. It was on Sunday. It was on the Sunday or... show. It was a guy named Paul, I believe. Oh. Paul. See, I had a feeling Riley would know. Yeah, I listen to he, the shows every day. He usually day. remembers stuff, too. On, um, <laughs> about, like, I think it was a week ago, I was on with Ian and Nikki and me. me I think that was last Wednesday. Yeah, um, it should have been. Um, David from New Mexico asked that basically the same thing. He was like condemning libertarians for not caring enough about the Constitution. And in that wow. show, I accidentally misquoted Lysander Spooner. I think I have it down now. The Constitution, be it one thing or another, has either allowed the tyranny that we have now. Yes. Or has been powerless to prevent it. Yes. Yep, pretty yes, much. Yes. Yep. Now I remember this. And those might not be the exact words, but it's got the point across a lot better than I butchered it the other day butchered it the other day anything else Salu? well i just want to know if anyone has heard from ian and if they know where he is and if he's okay and where he's going to be so yeah anyone can write to ian at this point he is at the jail in boscoin new hampshire which is called the merrimack county jail and you don't need a i asked him this today you don't need a prisoner number you just need to write ian freeman and the address to it, uh, the thing, don't write with crayon or colored pencil, I don't think, uh, but definitely not crayon. And uh, I don't know. I can't remember any of the other things that you have to remember to get your letter uh, But not I'm sure rejected. if you look up the, they usually have rules yeah. on the BOP websites for like each location. And it's typically like, yeah, if you're just writing a letter like typed or in pen, that's usually okay. Right. Don't try to send him any things. You can't send him things. And the book situation is complicated, if I remember, but and I don't remember how to do it yet. So we'll have that up on some web- website at some point, how, but you can right now. How long are is he going to be there? Because they're putting him in a, like a federal facility eventually. Right. So we have no idea, but today okay. he was speculating. He's like, I'm sure they're keeping me here till at least um, the... Um, restitution hearing is okay since that restitution hearing is going to be in Concord soon and he has to go to that right he has okay. to physically go and we don't know when that's going to be either okay so um yeah he I've talked to him multiple times since he's been in jail I talked to him for like three hours the first day because they kind of like left him in booking and just like kind of I don't know forgot about him or didn't care what he's doing so that was really nice um and <laughs> then yesterday I only talked to him for one minute because he doesn't have like his time all by himself anymore he had to wait for other people to get off the phone and he got on the phone with me really quick and then he's like they're telling me to lock up on you so he had to go and that was so sad and then today i talked to him for probably like 30 minutes and i was so happy after that um i don't remember uh exactly what your question was like is he awesome. okay well the, the only other thing i would say is please do not hesitate to ask the axelmans if there's anything we could do for you or ian or free talk live or anything well, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate that. Um, your wife also texted me th- uh, the same thing, and I just really appreciate it. I really love her. And you. Awesome. Yeah, love you and guys. And Abel. Too. Have a good night. Keep up the good work. Yes, and Abel. <laughs> yeah.
Now I'm actually going to be quoting Ian's allocution. I hope you will consider this very carefully in your sentence. The fact that the FBI had zero interest in catching or investigating the scammers themselves reveals the truth about this case. It was brought in bad faith. Another example of this is when the FBI first approached my ex-girlfriend, Renee, and her then-fiancé, Andy, in 2018 to question them about working with me selling Bitcoin. They already could have brought charges for money transmission and perhaps some others, but they did not. In fact, since they didn't charge Renee, Andy, or me at the time, we figured it was more proof that we weren't doing anything illegal and they were just on a fishing expedition hoping to find something. If you'll recall, I was operating on my attorney Seth Hipple's guidance letter explaining why what we were doing did not require a money transmitter license at either the state or federal level. Throughout the case, they have acted as though this prosecution was about saving elderly victims from scammers. But if that were true, why not arrest me in 2018? Why did they wait three more years? They kept spending taxpayer dollars on investigating me with 24-hour-a-day surveillance and letting me continue to sell Bitcoin to many hundreds more people. If this was about enforcing the law, they'd have arrested me in 2018. They also don't actually care about the scam victims. That's why they never asked Patrick Brown or Carlos Sino anything about their scammers. They wanted to arrest a high-visibility Bitcoin advocate and seller and use the maximum amount of force and intensity to take me down to show everyone what happens when you don't ask their permission to sell Bitcoin. However, the idea that a government license matters in regards to stopping scammers is disingenuous. We learned through the witness testimony that every single one of these scam victims first went to their bank and authorized the bank tellers to send out hundreds of thousands of dollars via wire transfer in order to buy Bitcoin for their scammers. It didn't matter that the banks are registered money transmitters. They sent away these people's life savings. My know your customer procedures were even more in-depth than the bankers, but the scam victims lied to me like they lied to the bankers. What did it matter if the banks filled out a CAR or CTR on the transfer? They still sent the wires because in the end, you do what the customer wants after you've done your best to alert them to possible scams. It wasn't the SARs, uh, suspicious, suspicious activity reports, or CTRs, don't know what that stands for, that alerted the FBI to the victims who testified in this case. It was my own KYC files from my laptop. Based on what I saw in Discovery, the FBI had zero awareness of most of the scam victims until they started contacting the people they found in my files. The government estimates that the scam victims lost several million dollars to their scammers via buying Bitcoin from me. However, that number is the total number they lost to the scammer. An average of about 10 to 15 percent went to me and my friends. The rest of it is in the scammer's possession. Though the prosecution likes to bring up the 21% number, that was only for first-time buyers, and 21% he means 21% fee on purchases. That was only for first-time buyers because they were the highest risk, and I subjected them to in-depth KYC requirements. Most of the regular buyers that turned out to be victims were at 10% commission because, to me, they were satisfied good regular buyers. As we learned at trial, Carlosino lost $100,000 of her own money Early on in her several-year-long relationship with her scammer, and then she began assisting him by receiving funds from his other victims, years before opening her first trades with me. So in some of the victims' cases, they weren't even sending their own money, making it hard to know their personal loss via trades with me, if any at all. 
Though they are now saying I'm a flight risk, the prosecution previously went from saying I was a threat to the community to have me wrongfully denied bail for 69 days all the way to consenting to dropping location monitoring and computer monitoring monitoring prior to trial. It's clear I'm not a threat to anyone and I can obey various restrictions, including home incarceration without being a burden on the probation department. I've already lived under pre- and post-trial restrictions over the two years in addition to the 69 days I spent behind bars. If I have to go back to a cell as part of the sentence, my radio show and over 170 AM and FM radio stations will be unnecessarily harmed. My co-hosts will do their best to keep things going in my absence, but no one knows the studio equipment like I do. A prison sentence may be the death of my may be the death sentence for my 20-year-old radio program. I also have a wife, Bonnie, who I love very much, and my absence would harm her greatly. While I have my criticisms of the justice system in this country, I know it is made of individuals, and throughout this process, you have shown yourself to be thoughtful, fair, and willing to change your mind. Thank you for that. And that's the end. I've been listening to talk radio pretty much all of my life. Um, I grew up with it. My parents had it on, and I listened to people like Rush Limbaugh. I listened to people like Art Bell, who hosted Coast to Coast late at night and did fun topics like UFOs and, and things like that. So that's how my curiosity began to blossom with, you know, psychedelics and things like that and, and the strange and unusual and talk radio in general. I actually had an opportunity to be on a talk radio show when I was 11 in the local station for an hour and talked about what it was like being blind and things like that. And so I still have this love of radio and this love of broadcasting and I still have this love of getting my voice out there. And this is why I love being on Free Talk Live. This is why I've done my own podcast and I I love broadcasting because it gives me a chance to speak and have a way to communicate with other people. But in 2015... I started listening to Free Talk Live more regularly, and Ian's voice was the most common voice on the air at the time, and, you know, I thought he was an interesting character. He defied the government, and I started to really like how much he defied the government, because to me, that's just something that not many people do. I mean, I hear about Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity and these big talk show hosts talking about how bad the government is and we just got to vote for the right people. But yeah, Ian Freeman isn't like that. He He's not like this type of person to say, hey, we got to vote for other people to hopefully fix our problems. He's like, well, here's the problem. This is the solution. Let's take a speeding ticket or a traffic ticket to trial. Let's fight it out in their court systems. Let's Stand up for secession. Let's do all these different things rather than beg a politician for help. And then when I started doing the di- the Free Talk Live Daily Digest in 2016, it's then that I really got to know Ian and his voice and the way he acts. And in 2018, I came to New Hampshire for the first time and it was on Free Talk Live in on August 10th. I want to say 10th. I don't remember, but I was in with the studio with Daryl W. Perry, who used to be on the show, and Ian, and we had a good time. I loved it. I loved being on the show. Ian was very generous. I've actually had an opportunity to interview Ian on my podcast. I don't remember what episode number it was, but, you know, he's a generous man, and, you know, he's been willing to have me be in studio as a co-host, 
And that's been really nice of him. And I know he doesn't like a lot of praise. And he's like, oh, you know, you do a good job. You do good things. And that's why I have you on the show. <laughs> and I really appreciate that. I also appreciate Mark, who's also been a really good help in helping me get audio production work and things like that. And I've really enjoyed having Ian as an influence in my life. And this is why I came to New Hampshire. This is why I chose to move here. Not because Ian said, hey, you should move to New Hampshire, but because if Ian can inspire people to follow principle, then obviously I can move here and learn to apply the principles that I've learned. And I came here knowing full well that Ian might be put in a cage, most likely. And so... I'm here because I want to apply the principles of liberty in my own personal life and live in such a way that others can see my example and say, hey, you know, if he, he can live free, I can live free too. And I think freedom is extremely important for everyone listening because we are living in a time when freedom isn't loved anymore. People want to control other people's speech. People want to live in a world where they want to feel safe all the time and you know sometimes you're going to get offended and it's okay to walk away and not engage in being offended and not demand that a, a government step in and stop you from being offended you know sometimes when you get offended you just need to leave can i ask you riley sure what's some of the like just quick um descriptions of some of the values libertarian values that ian has inspired you to come here and live i think the biggest one that I can think of right now off the top of my head is peace. I, I've heard him talk many times on the show about living a life of peace and living in such a way that, you know, yeah, we have a violent gang of thugs out there calling themselves government that we could be like, you know, we should storm DC and take it over. But Ian's like, no, we need to do something different. We need to be peaceful people. We need to show that non-compliance, that peaceful non-compliance is the way to go. And, you know, it's easy for the police and the military to step in and stop a violent act of revolution or, or whatever. Right. But when peaceful when people peacefully non-comply, it's, it's not a good look. It's not a good look if, if Gandhi or someone like him gets tackled by the police for just yeah. being peaceful. And I think Gandhi and Ian Freeman... They, I don't know if Eden would say he's like Gandhi, but in a way he kind of is in the sense that he is a peaceful man. He's never been violent that I know of. I think he's better than Gandhi. This is Dagwood. I called in quite a while ago. About What's your name? HOA. Dagwood, I think he said. Dagwood from Montana. Okay. What's on your mind? I'm just calling back to let, uh, I think Nikki was there with, Captain Kickass, and I think Ian was there as well, but I had an issue where they were trying to make me get rid of my animals. Yes. Uh, yes. And all that. So, yeah, how is that turning that, out? Yes, yes, I was Good. there. I remember I, this. I became the president of the HOA. No way! So, yes. Oh, nice. my gosh, that's awesome. Congratulations. No way. Yeah, all the other tenants did not like what was going on, and ever since I spoke up, everything's changed, so it's Turned out for the better. What kind of animals were they trying to get you to get rid of? Cat. So, yeah, if you want, just like very briefly, you know, give us a brief yeah, overview. I wasn't, like, I wasn't on the show, and I'm sure either. a lot of our listeners don't know the story. Tell us yes, about the story. Yeah, so just real quick. I live in a condominium area, and the HOA was trying to get away with all animals. No animals allowed in the building whatsoever. Hmm. Well, 
in that case, it's my wife. She had an uh, animal, I call it, what is it, a service animal or um, a therapeutical animal. That's what it was. And they tried to say that you had to get rid of it and all this other stuff. And I'm like, there's no way that they can do that. Well, they tried taking us to court and everything else. And we won the case. Everything went good. And needless to say, they're selling, they're moving, and it's a better place. Wow. Nice. I'm I'm actually very surprised that that was the um the turnout for that. Yeah, but that's yeah, good news. that's that's amazing. That's good news. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't looking for that outcome. I thought it was going to be something totally different, but it played the system actually played in our favor for once. Yeah. And I think um I don't know if you were listening to the show, you know, like the last time you called in when you originally told us the story. I think Gigi called in after you and gave some some sort of advice. So I don't know if you heard that or were able to yeah. get her advice. Yes, I did actually, okay. and that was part of what helped out. So, yeah, I that's think it awesome. Was Captain Kickass that says, "Well, because I told him I didn't want nothing to do with the HOA and all this other stuff," and he goes, "Well, that's the problem with the system. Yeah, if you don't want nothing to do with it, don't do nothing." Well, I did something, and it turned out for a better thing. So. Good. Nice. I don't know where he's at, but I wanted to he thank him. He just walked in the room that. when you said his name. I'm not even joking. He That's just put true. headphones on. Yeah. <laughs> you wanted to thank nice. him, you said? Yes. I want to thank Captain Kickass for giving me the initiative to actually go forward and becoming president of the HOA. So thank you for that, Captain Kickass. Thank you so much for the call. That's a that's awesome. No, I was glad to get the update. So just, just really quick, that was Dagwood calling back about... Um, his the HOA and they were trying to get him to get rid of his cat. So now he's the president of the HOA. <laughs> and yeah, so <laughs> success. You just heard highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. You can download full episodes, subscribe to our podcast, listen live and more, all for free at freetalklive.com.